Today's reading is from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 15 to 4, verse 3. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see what they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We've all squeezed in okay. Um, if you're here this morning, uh, as a guest, I know there's family, people being baptized, you're very welcome this morning, and um, hopefully it won't be too warm in here. Um, there's little um, forms, uh, connection cards around the seats, uh, you can find out more about us, but they also double as a fan if you get a little warm, so feel free, do what you need to do there and, uh, as well. We had a wedding in here yesterday, and people were just sweating bullets, uh, not just the groom, but uh, everyone, so feel free to do that. Um, today we're continuing in our series in Ecclesiastes. Um, what we do here at Village is just kind of teach through books of the Bible, um, and there's reasons for that. It allows us to uh, cover things uh, that we might not, uh, you might not just cover or want to cover um, if you were just kind of picking and choosing uh, what exactly you were wanting to teach from the Scripture. So we really want to um, lean into the full counsel of, of God and what He has to say for us. And really the best way to do that is just through working through books of the Bible. So um, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and this morning, um, on this beautiful um, spring, summer-like day, um, we get to talk about death, uh, injustice, and uh, judgment. So yay! <laughs> um, amazing. Um, and if you think that, uh, man, this is the day I picked to come, uh, uh, I, I hope... Uh, I hope it by the end, if, if, you'll, if you'll stick with us and actually see, uh, oftentimes what it is, sounds like bad news uh, can actually be really good news. Um, no one wants to hear your doctor tell you you have cancer. Um, to be told you have cancer, is that good news or bad news? Is it bad news? What's worse, being told you have cancer and maybe being able to do something about it, or never being told you have cancer and just dying of it because you didn't know you had it. So there is a sense in which being told that you have cancer can be good news. Um, and I hope this morning um, 
what, what sounds like a lot of bad news at the, uh, or can quite kind of sound a little bit heavy uh, for us um, will uh, really turn to lightness and joy as we move into really celebrating a picture of what we are going to talk about today. Um, so let me just ask, um, we all love stories, right? That's why we spend um, millions and billions on books and on music um, and on art and on cinema. Um, but what kind of story do you like the best? What kind of story do you like the best? Are you more like, a, you like a dark kind of story? Um, do you like a murder mystery? Um, do you like something that's a little more uplifting? Some chicken soup for the soul, um, maybe? Um, uh, if you have kids, you know that kids' stories are all kind of the same for the most part, um, especially when they're young. And um, kids' stories, a lot of them end with the same seven words, Right? What are the seven words they all end with? And they all lived happily ever after, right? They all lived happily ever after. So that's like the perfect kind of Disney, uh, you know, uh, story all wrapped up. And they all lived happily ever after. And, um, but, but we know as adults, as we start to get older, that that actually isn't true of most stories, right? Romeo and Juliet um, die without their love being uh, committed to each other. Uh, William Wallace, at the end, is disemboweled. <laughs> In Gladiator, he, he ends up dead along with his family. Um, Marvel Infinity War. Well, uh, no spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Let's just say some people aren't feeling so good by the end of that movie. Right? And so sad endings we can, we can kind of get used to. Sad endings of stories as adults. That's a little more re- realistic. Uh, we, can, we can swallow that pill. But the one stories, the endings of stories that we have a hard time abiding with are stories that end not just sadly, but unjustly. Um, where there's an injustice that has been meted out during the narrative that never gets resolved. Where evil triumphs, where nobody lives happily ever after, where the, uh, the protagonist doesn't actually become the victor in the end. <coughs> Suffering often leads us sad. But injustice makes us mad, doesn't it? Um, the things that we get most mad about in our life are, are generally issue, issues of injustice, whether they be big, large-scale, systemic injustice, or if, if we've been personally uh, slighted, uh, maybe we feel like a friend was unfair or unkind, or we didn't get a chance to kind of explain ourselves. This idea of fairness is a virtue that we all intuitively kind of prize, isn't it? There's a sense of judicial sentiment built into the human psyche. Um, and maybe I think that's because we've all been recipients of that. We've all been recipients of injustice at some point, some far more than others, um, for sure. Um, and, and what might frustrate us in this series and, and what might frustrate us today is when we see the injustice of the world as what he says here, right, the very opening um, in verse 16, I saw that under the sun, and, and again, we said this is a refrain that he uses over and over again. Um, Solomon, who's, who's writing this or this narrative is from, um, is the wisest, most powerful, most richest man during the time. He's lived this experiment in his life to figure out what is the meaning and purpose of life. Um, these big existential questions that we're all faced with, hum- with humanity. And he, he, he uses this refrain, under the sun, um, to really describe a life uh, the human life experience disconnected or apart from God who resides above or transcends the sun. 
And so he says, what the human experience is, as I looked and saw under the sun, in the place of justice, so where there should be justice, in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And what can frustrate us is, is, is what we looked at. This comes right after what we looked last week. And what we looked at last week was that there is a time and a place uh, in, in, in which everything becomes appropriate in its time because God is sovereign over time. God is the Lord of time. Nothing happens outside of his purview. Nothing happens uh, without his superintendence over those things. His, or, his, everything happens uh, that is ordained by God. Now, we said last week, remember, and we need to keep this in mind today, that doesn't mean that God is the uh, source of evil or the author of evil. Um, we're clearly told in the scripture that that's not true. But God is powerful and resides over all things, and because of our choices that he allows, we introduced evil into the world. And so he's still in control over those things, but will use evil to, even to his end to accomplish his good. So how do we account for evil and justice knowing that God is sovereign? Um, if you're not a, a Christian here today, um, that's often people's biggest hurdle. How can God be all-loving and all-powerful if a God is, is all-powerful and he's all-loving, why won't he do anything about the injustice that we see in the world? Why won't he eradicate evil from the world? How do you explain genocide? How do you explain the extermination of people groups? How do you explain a world that never ceases to be at war at some point? How do you explain uh, 9-11? How do you explain 7-11 in London? How do you explain the Paris attacks where 150 people die not on a battlefield but die in cafes and restaurants and clubs and sporting events? How do you account for those things? And what we see clearly in the scriptures is you can't account for it by denying God's providence. You can't, denying God's sovereignty, denying his providence doesn't get rid of your problem. It actually makes your, your problem worse. We see here in this text and, and looking at last week that God's providence accounts for it. God's providence incorporates it. It, it sets boundaries on it. it. It harnesses it. It uses it. It exploits it. And ultimately... God judges it. Ultimately, God judges evil. God is perfectly just, and he is justly perfect. And God will use every means, including the sin that he hates, to accomplish the purposes that he loves. And that's hard for us to get our, our mind around. Proverbs 16, 4 says, says it this way. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of the trouble. For the day of trouble. The Lord will even take the wicked and, and their uh, wicked motives, their, their wicked actions. And al although he is not um, directing, he, he's not uh, the author behind those things, they are responsible for their wickedness. He will even use that to accomplish his, his goodwill and purposes. Everything. The good and the bad, the Lord will use for his purposes. We might not fully understand it, but we must believe it. We don't um, like things that we don't understand. 
We don't like coming to the end of our understanding. But it is this attitude that we come to that actually means that we are humble. We are recognizing that we are humble creatures before a holy and infinite creator. Verse 11, uh, we looked at last week, that he makes everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. But God stands outside of space and time. He's not limited by time. He doesn't experience time the way that you and I experience it. We'll see this later on. And this that we see, this is what he's describing here, this, that where, there should be, where there should be justice, where there should be righteousness, wickedness is prevailing, it seems, in his heart. It is really life in this fallen world, and it's a fallen world that's not just marked by injustice, but it's marked by death itself. You see this in verses 18. Um, to 21, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that's us, humanity, that God is testing them that they may see or that, that he may reveal to them that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over them for all is vanity. There's this word again. This Hebrew word hevel, all is like smoke. It's just vapor. It, it's vapid. It's, it's enigmatic. It's fleeting. You can see it. You can experience it. But we can't get hold of it. We can't, we can't make any sense, sense of that. This is the world that we live in. This is a world marked by the fall. Right? We go back to the very beginning of, 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 of where the opening words of the Bible come in. The first few chapters of the, of the book of Genesis are so important for us to understand because it, it really is the foundation of all the rest of what we see in Scripture all the way to the very end. God created man, and, and he, he put man in this garden. And this garden really was, was this perfect environment that he was meant to cultivate, um, but he walked in perfect communion with God. And in this garden, um, there was a multitude of trees from which they could eat, but there were two trees specifically that we find out about. One is the tree of life, and as long as they ate from this tree, they would sustain their life. They were, the, life death wasn't meant to be a part of the equation. They were meant to live forever with God. And he's like, you can eat freely from all of these trees, including the tree of life, but there's one tree that you're not to eat of, and this tree is the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, if you eat the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. The day that you break my, my covenant, the day that you break relationship with me, the, the day that you try to become an all-knowing cre uh, creator like me instead of a, a humble creature, that's the day that death enters into the picture. And you know the story, if you've, if, if you've been around um, Christianity at all, um, Satan comes on the scene and tempts them. God is holding something back from you. There's knowledge that you don't have that you can get access to, that you can become like God if you'll eat of that tree. And so they do. And God in his mercy banishes them from Eden and restricts them from the tree of life so that they would not continue in this state Death enters the picture. 
And this is what he says, right, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. And again, I saw all the oppression, all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. And on their side, on the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And though the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. He sees this injustice. He sees this oppression. And he says, better to not even, better to not even be born than to experience this life that is marked by death and oppression and injustice. And this is written 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago. Why is this, why is he experiencing this? Why do we experience the same thing? God creates us in perfect communion with him. There wasn't meant to be death. There wasn't meant to be oppression. There wasn't meant to be injustice. But it is we in our rebellion against God have introduced all of these things into the world. It's, we use this theological term called sin, Right? Not a popular word, but that's exactly what it is. It's us, it's us rejecting the ways of God that would lead us into a life of flourishing, lead us into life eternal with him, rejecting that, thinking we know better, and taking on our own ways. And our own ways have led to systemic oppression of people, the systemic killing of people, us fighting and hating each other. It's all of these things that we see in the, in the list from last week. There's injustice in the place where there should be justice. In the place where there should be righteousness found, there is injustice. And we say, that's not fair. Um, if you're a parent in the room and your kids know how to talk, you've heard those three words over and over again. That's not fair. That's not fair. I've got uh, Lawson and Kennedy. They're six and eight. Um, and they are each other's best friends and mortal enemies to the death. Um, and it just depends on what minute of the day it is that they are those things. And so I'll hear that refrain, you know, that's not fair. And it's easy to kind of laugh and chuckle at kids. Um, but, but we do the same thing, right? There's a sense that life isn't fair. I was more qualified for that promotion. I've worked here longer. I've put in the hours. My work is, is, is up to measure. And this other person got the promotion because they're a little more friendlier with the boss. It's not fair. Or little things, even in traffic. How many times do you think that's not fair in traffic? People that, like, you're going down the road and they pull halfway out in the middle of traffic. I'm like, that's not fair. Get back out. You're not, you have to wait your turn. Just pull out anyway. Caring for loved ones with Alzheimer's who don't even recognize you anymore. It's not fair. But we are members of an unjust race living in an unfair world. This is the human condition that he's recognizing, that we are just from dust to dust. And everything in between is marked by injustice. Now, there's no surprise, I don't think. We're not surprised that injustice exists, right? We know that there are, are evil people doing evil things. There is systemic oppression. There is built into the systems of how we live our lives and governance and all these things. But what stings and frustrates and outrages us is when it manifests its place, it manifests itself in the one place that you would expect to find justice. 
right? We actually name the system after that. It's the justice system. This is the system in which we will be able to be just people. We have the courts of law. You have police or law enforcement agencies. The place where might isn't right, but right is might. It doesn't matter. It's not just for the strong man, the weak, the the poor are able to come and present their case. They just can't be trodden over because we have a system of justice to protect. This is the place where righteousness should prevail, where the standards of the community are honored and where the breaking of those standards are punished. In most courts of law, um, you'll see statues or some kind of resemblance of lady justice, right? New lady justice, um, she wears a blindfold. She holds scales in one hand and a sword in another. This blindfold is meant to to represent her impartiality. She can't see who who is rich and who is powerful. She treats everyone the same. The scales are meant to to represent a balance of fairness. And the sword is there as a symbol of swift justice. But Solomon looks around and he says, the blindfold has been removed, the scales are off balance, and the sword has been stolen. The place where you should find justice and righteousness, there's wickedness. The prophet Isaiah, and really all throughout the scripture, what stirs, what provokes provokes God's anger, and let me just say, God's anger is something that has to be provoked. I get angry for no reason at times, but that's because I'm a sinful dude. I get angry and, and no one's provoked my anger. I'm just tired or I'm frustrated or I'm mad about something else and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll lash out at my wife or kids or something like that. That's not God. God is love. His state is love. His state is peace and shalom. But he, is an, he does have anger that can be provoked. And what provokes God's anger is injustice. All throughout the scripture, we see God's righteous anger being provoked because of injustice. Where there should be righteousness, there is wickedness. The prophet Isaiah warns us of this. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who we call what should be darkness and bitterness and evil, we call that good and light and sweet. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. The words of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Justice matters. You think democracy protects us from this? Maybe, to, maybe more so, Right? I, thank, thank the Lord we live in kind of a civil, democratic kind of society that has a system of justice that might not be as corrupt as other nations, but democracy doesn't perfect, protect us from this completely. And even when it does, we'll just change laws to do wicked things, but to be able to call them legal and righteous. But just because something is legal does not make it, doesn't make it not wicked. 
We change laws to assuage our conscience. We change laws to be up with the times. We do exactly what Isaiah says. We call what is evil good. We call what is darkness light. We do what is wise in our own eyes, what we think is shrewd in our own sight. And we have these examples that are right before our eyes this last week, celebrating in the streets, joy and partying in the streets for the right to now take the life of the most innocent people, the unborn. We celebrate racism and sectarianism. We literally throw sectarian parties here. We hate others and we call it our culture. Judges take bribes. High-powered attorneys get the guilty off scot-free. Innocent people serve time in prison for crimes they didn't commit. Maybe they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe they were the wrong race in the wrong place. We see this played out on our TV screens over and over again in a globally connected world. And it's not just African dictators in these poor countries It's the leading countries of the world where democracy is supposed to uh, be the shining beacon to the rest of the world, where law enforcement officers in the name of the law will kill innocent people in the streets because they're the wrong color. And we can say, well, I thought he had a gun. And that's it. We get to wipe our hands clean from that. It's easy, isn't it, to sometimes look out and we can see systemic injustice and there are certain, certain, certain of those things that we're like, yes, that's so wrong. And other things that we're like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure. It can be complicated. And there are complications in some of those things for sure. But do you know why those complications are there? Because we're wicked, evil people. <laughs> We call what is good right. Uh, we call what is light darkness. We call what is evil good. Just even protecting the life of unborn children is, isn't, isn't just kind of a convenience thing. There are systemic, deep-rooted sinful issues in that. In the UK, 68% of people who have repeat abortions are all black, That ain't a random statistic. In the United States, Planned Parenthood. um, They've actually called uh, Planned Parenthood um, the purporters of black genocide in America. Margaret Sanger, who who, um, founded Planned Parenthood in the United States, who do the vast majority of abortions in America, um, believed in eugenics and actually is documented and wrote papers and everything and worked to actually lower the black birth rate in America. The vast majority of abortions that take place in America are on black children. You don't see a lot of Planned Parenthood uh, facilities out in the white suburbs of America. You see them in poor communities and often disproportionately in poor black communities. 
You tell me there's not something else going on, something deeper? Down syndrome. Read an article this week celebrating the fact that in, in, in the UK and in, and in parts of the UK, we've eliminated Down syndrome. No, we haven't. We've eliminated the people with Down syndrome. And that's not the same. It's not the same. It's like killing everyone that has cancer and saying we've cured cancer. Not all systems are corrupt. Not every judge, not every law enforcement, not every politician, I think, are corrupt. But we all have the capacity for corruption. They all have the capacity of corruption, just like me. Just like you. They're just like us. Ecclesiastes 7 and 9. See, this alone I found, the teacher says, that God made man upright. God has made us upright. He's made us righteous. He made us perfect. But they have sought out many schemes. Are we not the children of our parents, Adam and Eve? He goes on in 9. Also the hearts of children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. If you're in, in Ecclesiastes uh, 4 here, even just the next chapter, look at Ecclesiastes 5 in, in verse 8. If you see a province, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and yet a higher one over them. What's he saying? The judges, the people who are supposed to rule, there's, there's another judge higher than them that's covering their backside, and there's someone covering his backside. And the higher you go, the more secret and the more private things become. Say, well, uh, listen, that's a lot of, you know, Old Testament kind of, you know, angry prophets and things like that. But what did Paul say? Romans 3. He says, what's, what's the conclusion then? What's this matter then? He says, are Jews any better off? Not at all, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greek, that's, that's us, that's Jews and Gentiles, are under sin, under the control of sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Not one understands, not one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. You say, man, I don't, I don't really like this. I don't like this, this world that, that is described here under the sun. But is it not true? I mean, is this not our experience as we look around? And here's the point. You're not supposed to. The Bible isn't written to go, hey, this is just the way that it is. You know, crack on with life. We're not supposed to like it. This is the result of being a fallen person in a, in a fallen world. It's supposed to provoke. It's supposed to get us to ask these questions that Solomon is asking. It's supposed to cause us to action, to do something about that. And ultimately, it's, it's, it's really um, meant to to provoke us, to push us back to the one who sits above the sun. We want a justice that no earthly system can 
and act. It's meant to cause us to lift our eyes above the sun to a different kind of a, a, a way of life, right? Uh, it, there's something in this that cries out Maranatha, like, come, Lord Jesus. Come with your government. government. Come with your reign and rule that will never end. Make all of this right. So how do you respond when injustice happens just one too many times? Because it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? And we want to take matters into our own hands at times. You know, in, uh, in all these kind of mass shootings that you see or mass bombings, a lot of those people actually have, from their perspective, a moral reason for doing it. Timothy McVeigh um, blew up an entire federal um, uh, court, courthouse in America killing hundreds of innocent people um, because he had a beef with the government and he thought this was the right way to kind of enact that justice. He thought that the, the, the government was being unjust. And you're like, how, what kind of sickness in your mind do you have to be to say this is an injustice? The way to correct the injustice is by actually killing innocent people. But this is what we saw. I mean, the referendum last week on the Catholic Church who did horrible things, abused kids, shamed women, separated them from their families, horrific kind of things. And you go, we need to do something about injustice. And that's true. But the way to, the way to address that injustice isn't by purporting the same kind of injustice. We go to the one who, who can take all of our shame and deal with those things. And what do you do? We come back to the hope that we even see here, that Solomon understands and knows. In verse 17, I said in my heart, and this is what you have to say to your heart. This is what I have to say to myself when I just feel overwhelmed with the injustice that I see in the world. God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. When we feel like injustice is just overwhelming, we run into the arms of a God who will reckon with every single terrorist bullet that's ever been fired, every single bomb that's ever gone off. This is the poem that we see of chapter three. It's a description, really, of what we as humanity have brought into the world. There's a time for these seasons, right? There's a time to kill, there's a time for war, to die, to weep, to hate, but all of those things assume a fallen world. That's not the world that God created. That is the world that we have ushered in through our rebellion against him. And so what keeps you from despair? Or deep cynicism? How do we find hope and joy in these things? We do it through the vital knowledge of a coming judgment. This is where getting told you have cancer is actually good news because you can do something about it. This vital knowledge of a coming judgment that God will judge every deed, that he will judge every matter. It's a divine judgment that God is the judge. That's good news because human judges can be corrupt. But God who is incorruptible who is perfectly just and justly perfect is the one who sits as the judge. It's inclusive. 
It's the righteous are there being judged and the wicked. We are, that includes all of us. We will all have to give an account before him at some point. And it's comprehensive. What does he say? It's every matter. Every matter. And for every work. The Hebrew words here, matter, um, really relate to kind of our thoughts and our feelings. So not just what we enact out, but who we actually are in our heart. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you even look at someone with hatred in your heart, it's murder. Now, not murder in the same way that someone dies. It's those same seeds. It's hatred in our heart that leads us to lashing out into murder. And in that way, we all have murderous thoughts. Every work, this is every deed that we did or failed to do. And so we take hope that just because God doesn't clear the docket on our timetable doesn't mean that he doesn't clear the docket. He will. This is why the the scriptures say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not up to us to enact vengeance. It's up to us to leave that to the Lord. And so is judgment bad news or good news? Is that a bad word or a good word? Well, again, it depends. It's like a a cancer diagnosis. Because here's the problem. We want justice, right? We want judgment, We want evil to be judged. The problem is we want other people's evil to be judged. I don't want my evil to be judged. I just want yours. For me, I want mercy. I want mercy for me and judgment for ISIS. Because look how wicked they are. I mean, look how bad they are. I'm not beheading innocent children. I get mercy. Those guys should get judgment. And so why doesn't God come and enact that? Why does evil and justice in injustice exist if God is sovereign over all? Why can't God deal with this evil? Well, we find the answer in 2 Peter 3. If you have a Bible and want to turn there and follow along. 2 Peter 3, the first four verses say this. This is his second letter that he's writing to, uh, to, to people, Peter. He says, now this is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am, stir, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So he's like, I'm writing you this letter to remind you of something. Um, these people are being persecuted. Uh, remember, we went through 1 Peter. They're uh, exiles. They're scattered around. He's reminding them something. And this is what he wants to remind them. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior, that's Jesus, through the apostles, through their teaching. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is this Jesus and his coming? This Jesus that's going to come and deal with evil. Forever since the fathers fell asleep, that is, generations before us have died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Is that not what the atheist would say? Where is your God who can judge evil then? Nothing's changed, which is exactly what Solomon's saying. Nothing's changed under the sun. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But verse 8, 2 Peter 3, but he says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord doesn't operate in the same way that we do when it comes to time. 
What's a thousand years? I mean, a thousand years, a millennia for us? Is that God experiences that as like a day. And a day like a thousand, like he's not, he's not bound by time. Verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward who? He's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why hasn't God dealt with evil? Why doesn't God just wipe evil off the face of the earth? Because that means he wipes us all off the face of the earth. I'm done. Oh, but wait, now I'm a pastor. You know, I'm a man of the cloth. I'm representing the Lord. I have evil in my heart, just like you do. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm an evil sinner that has to repent daily to walk in holiness. And so if God just enacts justice, none of us deserve mercy. He says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day is coming when the Lord will return and all of what has been done on the earth will be exposed. God will have the last word. This is the answer to every moral monstrosity that has ever happened in the world. This is your answer to that. What about the Holocaust? What about genocide? What about this? What about that? The Lord will deal in perfect judgment with all of those things. And the reason he hasn't yet is because he is being patient unto us that we might turn from our evil and repent and find life in him. Ecclesiastes 12. This is the very last verse in this book that we'll study. So spoiler alert. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now that's good because he's not judging just the evil. He's also judging and rewarding what is good. Justice and injustice. God has promised an appointed time to judge all good and bad. And he does that through his chief justice, Jesus. God understands injustice because he was the greatest recipient of it on the cross. There's been no greater injustice in the, in the history of the universe than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, where humans literally killed the Son of God who was completely innocent, the only person who's ever walked on the earth without sin, the only person who actually deserved to enact judgment on all of us, we did the opposite. We all judged him and sentenced him to death. The scripture says there was no sin found within him, no deceit in his mouth. And so how does God not retaliate in that moment? Like, I want to I wanna fight. There, there are issues this week I've wanted to fight because I'm like, that's not right. Like, I want to do something physically about that. How does Jesus, the most innocent son of God, stand there and allow himself to be slapped, be ripped out, crown of thorns, be shredded with a whip, and be crucified without retaliating? He does it the same way you and I do it. He trusts himself to his Father who judges all justly. 
And he did judge Jesus justly, which is why he rose him from the dead, and he sits now at the right hand of the Father, vindicated of that judgment. But it was through that judgment, him paying the penalty for sin on our behalf, Jesus takes the greatest injustice so that we wouldn't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear of this judgment that's coming. God can justly extend mercy. There's a way to unjustly extend mercy, and there's a way to justly extend mercy. God does it justly because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sin and evil. And he offers this as a free gift to all who call on his name. It's like the doctor saying, you have cancer, it's going to kill you, but I can operate on you and take it out, and you'll live. It's only terminal if you reject treatment. And in that moment, being told you have cancer is the greatest news you've ever heard. Because if you didn't hear it, you would die of that very same thing. God will balance the scale. He will wield the sword. He will enact his verdict with unbiased eyes wide open. We see this in the closing chapters of of the scripture. John is able to, through a vision, see what God wants him to see in the end. He says, Then I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following them on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that can sound terrifying. Or that can sound like the most hope-filled passage you've ever heard of. Because what we want our just judge to come and deal with the evil. We want the oppressors with the power, oppressing those without power. We want the, the balance of the scales to be righted again. Why we can resist vengeance why we cry out for justice is because of Jesus himself. He has received the greatest injustice so that you and I wouldn't have to. That you and I get mercy instead of justice. That we get grace instead of his wrath. That we get to be clothed in the very righteousness of Christ rather than being left naked and exposed in the end. And the good news is all of this is a free gift. Like you don't have to do anything to earn that. You just have to trust Jesus and recognize him for who he is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And here's the great news. That life that we're trying to live apart from God leads to death. It leads to frustration. It leads to corruption. It leads to all of these things. But when we follow the way of Jesus, which we'll we'll look at in the autumn, in the Sermon on the Mount, when we follow the way of Jesus, it actually leads us into life. It leads us into joy. It leads us away from being unjust people. It leads us back to the creation that we decreated.
through our own injustice and rebellion against God, through our own sin. And this is what Solomon is just so frustrated with. So we're just like the animals. We just die. We have no advantage under the sun, life under the sun, life disconnected from God, no advantage in the animals. Like, who knows whether your soul goes up and the animal goes down? Like, who knows? But we know. We do know. Because Ecclesiastes isn't where the story ends. We do know where our souls, eternal souls, go. Either eternity with Christ or apart from him. Heaven or what an eternity separated from God would be like. Absolute hell. Imagine earth with all of God's restraint of evil removed now, with no common grace now. That's hell. You think war and oppression and justice isn't bad now? Bad now? This is with God restraining those things. With his common grace, the rain falls on the good and the evil. Imagine all of that uh, removed and withheld. And withheld. That's a description of what hell is like. Is hell fire? Is it whatever? Listen, whatever you believe it to be, it's God's complete absence and humans being as human as they can be. And we get glimpses of that on earth now. And it literally is why we call it hell on earth. But we can receive mercy today. We're getting ready to do some baptisms right now. People who have, have realized this story have put their faith and trust in Jesus, received mercy today from the lamb that we, really, that we read about in Revelation and avoiding the judgment of the lion that we read about in Revelation, and those are both the same person, Jesus. And that free gift of his mercy is offered to all of us today. For those of us that have received that, that are in Christ, we celebrate by coming to the table, being reminded of his body and his blood, shed and broken for us, the way in which we received his mercy. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, we'd ask you to refrain from that. But receive Jesus. Receive Jesus this morning. Um, and if you want to know more about that, obviously we can't unpack all of this in, in one sermon. We'd love to grab a coffee and chat with you more about that. And you can fill out one of those little cards and we'll get in touch with you. Um, you can put it in the black box on the table on, on which you came in. Let's pray. Father, we... We thank you for your justice. We thank you that one day you will judge the living and the dead. And the only way that that is good news is because we are not recipients of your justice, but we are recipients of your grace and your mercy. And so, Father, as we come to the table uh, to receive these means of grace, uh, the sacrament of bread and wine, that we taste and see that God is good. We also uh, do all this with great hope that the evil that we experience when we are uh, oppressed, when we just see the brokenness in our um, society around us, when we feel like it's going further into darkness while calling it light, Father, we just take great uh, comfort uh, that you one day will make all things new again that you will undo the brokenness, um, that one day you will reign and rule and that your righteous uh, rule will be good to us. Father, open our hearts to these things even deeper today. In your name we pray, amen.